Welcome back to The Tea Room. Lots of doctors have interesting stories to tell, but they might not know where to begin in terms of sharing that story with others. Recently, the Medical Republic hosted an online webinar to share the tips and tricks of the trade, covering all the questions that editors are most frequently asked by new doctor writers. This episode, we're taking you to the event to share the highlights covering all the writing for doctor basics, like where do you begin? Now I'll hand it over to TMR's very own COVID blogger and award-winning science writer, Bianca O'Grady, who is the host for this how-to session. Enjoy. So writing. Writing is easy. You just sit at the computer and bleed. So this quote may be familiar to some of you and uh, variations of it have been attributed to many a famous writer over the years and I'm going to now <laughs> lump myself in with that uh, collective but anybody who's ever been faced with a blank page with this incessantly nagging, blinking cursor can probably relate to that feeling. The good news is that writing does get easier the more you do it. Uh, and it also gets a lot easier when you work with an editor. So once you staunch the bleeding, then writing can actually become really enjoyable and even profitable. So to talk you through what it means uh, to be a doctor writer, and how to get ideas out of your head and onto the page of a magazine, newspaper or website. We're joined by a crack team of doctor writers and editors. So first up, we have Penny Durham, who is the editor of The Medical Republic and an experienced medical journalist who also has a master's in public health. Uh, we also have Professor Nick Talley, who many of you will be familiar with, who's the editor in chief of the Medical Journal of Australia and a neurogastroenterologist. We also have Dr. Justin Coleman, who is a GP writer and former president of the Australasian Medical Writers Association. We are very fortunate to have the Medical Republic's managing editor and medical journalist, Ruby Prosser-Scully. So thank you to all of you for joining us uh, this evening. And I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say and I'm hoping I might learn something too. So uh, to begin with, I might actually ask you, Justin, as our kind of, I guess, doctor writer on the panel, how and why did you get into writing as, as a medical professional? Thanks for the intro, Bianca. And it is wonderful to see so many people interested in writing. And I, I do find um, I occasionally run workshops on writing for doctors and they're always amazingly, surprisingly uh, popular. So there is, there is something about health professionals and writing. I started when I was a registrar in uh, Tennant Creek about in 88. No, what was it? Sorry, in 96. So it was about 20. 25 years ago and I just thought I had these amazing experiences in um, Aboriginal health and thought I would write something about them but I chose the um, a bit of uh, comedy uh, and made it a bit fun and it got published and I was I sent it off to a uh, leading GP magazine at the time and um, and yeah just got the the bug for it I, I guess I just liked seeing my words published and then sent in a few more and, you know, got my fair share of rejections early on and then publications. And once you get into it, it, it feeds on itself, I found. So really it's that, that hard first bit is convincing someone um, who has the choice of accepting or rejecting your work to accept it. And then after that, it becomes easier and easier because you have start to get a relationship with that editor and then other people see you writing other people start asking you to write and then yeah after you know it takes a while a few years the invitations start flowing in do you want to do this do you want to do that and you can say yes or no so I've I've found it uh, this surprising 
thing that I just did on a whim has now become yeah, a very large part of my, my career and my life. So there are a whole range of uh, ways that doctors can write or things that doctors can write about. Um, so Ruby, as, as managing editor of, uh, of the Medical Republic's so stable of magazines, what are the many sections, I guess, or types of articles that you uh, would like to see from doctors? So at the Medical Republic, and it's obviously different for the MJA and other places, but we have such a range of different uh, articles that we're looking for. So that can be anything from a news piece that's a bit shorter, say 400 to 600 words, and that's a bit more topical, uh, a bit more fast moving, maybe to do with some research that's come out or uh, change in policy or, or something that's sort of happening and, and has a kind of currency to it. Then we also have a little bit uh, longer if you want to play around with an idea or a topic a little bit more. We sort of do a news analysis, which might run to about, you know, 1200 words. And then if you want to have a, a lot of space to sort of get something off your mind or communicate with your peers, you can write something, you know, 2000 to 3000 words. And that's typically sort of our, our features uh, or our kind of, you know, how to clinical content. And then we also have opinion pieces which is a bit more about sort of sharing a personal experience or your perspective on something for you personally. And, and Penny's the one who's in charge of that. So she can probably describe that a little bit more at length. Yeah. Well, that was my next question, I guess, is opinion pieces seems to be a, a kind of logical, well, maybe a logical first place for doctors to start. And there's a fantastic um, piece from uh, Amy Coops today in, in Medical Republic about her experiences going from a hospital to working in general practice. So, Penny, what do you look for? Or, well, I guess, what, what would you like from doctors when it comes to an opinion editorial piece? Oh, th thanks, Bianca, and thanks, everybody, for joining us. Yeah, so I'll, I'll just talk about, yeah, opinions, of course, as Ruby said, there are lots of different kinds of writing, but um, glad you brought up Dr. Amy Coops, fabulous writer. She has an unfair advantage over most of the audience because she was a journalist for a long time. Not everyone can write as well as she does. I don't think I do. You don't have to. Basically, my message would be don't be shy. We want to hear from you. Say, if, if you're someone who posts thousands of words on Facebook every week about things that annoy you or make you sort of feel strongly about your work or about the system, consider writing it to me instead because we might be able to give you a wider audience depending on how many Facebook friends you have, of course. And, you know, if you get rejected by the MJA, try us. We're a little looser. There's <laughs> um, a turf war going on there. <laughs> no, um, we, will, we will take your rejects, Nick. Um, and if you are used to academic writing, um, you should find this quite liberating to write for us because, you know, TMR, we, we need you to be correct on fact, but we don't need to, you to be particularly correct on style. So if you have a bit of an individual streak and you like um, writing you know, off the top of your head, if you like a bit of humour or if something is just seriously pissing you off or driving you crazy, you might be surprised at the reaction you get. Like you, you might not be alone. Uh, you might actually find that your experience chimes a whole lot of bells with other people. And, you know, we, your, your writing doesn't need to be thoroughly researched. It can come straight from you. You know, you're, you know what you're doing and you know what you're experiencing. You, and it also doesn't need to be polished because I'm an editor, I'm experienced. I can make you sound better if you need it. Um, and, yeah, we, basically we, we're... We do the reporting, we do what we can, but we're not doctors, apart from Linda, who's not with us tonight, but we're not doctors. We don't know 
day to day what you're going through and your experience is more valuable than you think it is and other doctors want to hear from you as well. So obviously once you've got an idea or a thought, the, the first step is pitching it and pitching seems to be very daunting and I say this as a journalist who's been doing it, a freelance journalist to do a lot of pitching and it does, that unfortunately doesn't get any easier. How do you pitch something? And I might actually start with you, Ruby, um, because, you know, obviously there are a lot of different sections. The fact, you know, if you're pitching a feature or you're pitching a news story or you're pitching an opinion piece or clinical content, what do you want to see in a pitch? The first rule of thumb that um, you'll hear any sort of freelance journalist get is familiarise yourself with the magazine that you want to send it to. So um, it might help you to have a flick through our magazine or, or um, the one that you're seeking to pitch to and have a look at what your idea is and where it might fit, you know, what kind of a, a tone the different types of articles have and whether that matches the sort of idea in your head. But I wouldn't get too hung up on that. Um, if you've got an idea and you think that it might be useful, um, you think it might be interesting to your colleagues, just flick us an email. I mean, when we're not uh, scary people and we are looking to hear and amplify your voices. I mean, you're, you're the community that's talking to the community that we're reaching. So um, like any any sort of contact is, is very welcome. And you might say, look, I've got this idea on, um, you know, this thing that I've been noticing happening and I'm not seeing anyone really talking about it much. What do you think? And from that point, you know, myself or Penny might be able to say, that sounds like a great opinion piece. You know, talk to this person. I'll put you in touch with whoever it might be. Or, you know, it looks like it might really fit in like a how-to, a bit more of a, you know, a serious kind of clinical piece. And then we can, I guess, from that point, either put you in the place, you know, direct you to the person who uh, can best help you with that, give you a bit of feedback. Um, and then from that point, we actually have in TMR some kind of templates, really, for stories as well. So, again, we're not expecting that you make your bread and butter from writing. So we're not expecting you to come in with anything fully polished and as a result like we've got some sort of rules of thumb and some kind of examples to help you take that away and then think about how your your story can best sort of fit something like that and work with you. So Justin what when you do a pitch what do you just kind of have a particular approach to pitching um or do you are you sort of I guess working with a lot of editors that you've worked with before so you have a relationship with them but for example if you're doing a cold pitch to someone that you haven't worked with before what, what do you put in that pitch um yeah look it is it's difficult I mean you if you're so for example a few of us uh will have on on the line will have written in the non-medical media and I, I find that far harder to get into so um, over the years now, sort of the medical media, I'm reasonably comfortable and I can sort of point to that often they know who I am or I can point to stuff I've done, which means they'll read it. But, but certainly, you know, if I'm pitching to the Sydney Morning Herald or Age or something, uh, you know, for me, I'm just one of the 100 people they, they've never heard of. Um, so for that, I, I quickly try to, uh, it has to be very short. Uh, at the start and like all good writing it has to grab their attention in the first uh, paragraph or, or two at most and so I tend to quickly throw in I've done this these are my credentials which of course that becomes easier as you go along 
uh, even if you publish one thing somewhere, you can say you're a published writer, or you know you can sort of throw in that. Don't don't tell them you uh, you you know have a Facebook page or something, and and so then that I think oh that means they might read the next sentence, and then the next sentence I'll say look I had this um, idea about uh, I I find working from home is surprisingly good as a GP or something you know so something that might surprise them whatever the pitch is. And then after that, you know, what, what you put after that is sort of filler. Um, and I think if you can get past the editors uh, in the first couple of paragraphs, you, you're doing better than average, I reckon. <laughs> so, Nick, do you get a lot of uh, pitches uh, that don't, well, I guess you probably do get a lot that don't make it through. What, what, what do you want to see in a pitch? So, you know, at the MJA, remember the MJA has two parts. We've got the, the medical journal itself, which is like any major medical journal. Um, basically, the pitch is what you send us as the final piece. It's not, um, it's not quite as rough and ready as, uh, for example, others may consider because that's how medical journals work. And traditionally, that's been the approach. We've also got a news magazine called Insight, which... Um, is actually a little bit different. Um, we often commission for insight, but we also sometimes will publish pieces that come to us relevant to insight, relevant to a news magazine type of uh, type of description. It's still got to be evidence based, though. If you're talking about any factual issues, we fact check because we have to, and we try very hard to make sure whatever we're publishing is solidly evidence based. But there are lots of opinions out there that really matter, lots of experiences that matter. So in there, we're looking for more of a pitch rather than just an article perhaps coming to us. And when I've written for the newspapers, which I've done quite a bit of, um, you know, it's really about the idea. Often they'll come to you, of course, but, but if you go to them, you've got to have a very clear view of what you want to talk about. So, you know, I've written about masks in the pandemic. This was before they were accepted and agreed to. Uh, the argument was, should we wear masks or not? And uh, I wrote a piece about that, for example. There's been some compelling work in the papers too about clinicians uh, looking after COVID patients in, in, you know, in, in emergency departments, in intensive care, et cetera. They're very compelling. Those pieces, the newspapers want to publish mm. if you want to write about those. And of course, the Medical Republic also has its, uh, and, and other similar publications have, it, have its uh, very important piece and voice piece as well, which you can also use. So lots of opportunities, I think, but for a medical journal, it's really, you know, we don't expect it to be perfect, but we do expect it to grab our attention and, and be some interest. We want something that people are going to read. We don't want to publish something no one cares about. Um, so that means you've got to grab us to say this is worth reading. And then uh, after that, we'll do the fact checking and the other issues that matter because we don't want to publish wild opinions. Think about some of those conspiracy theories out there. We're not going to publish those. I can assure you we are not. Um, uh, but we do want fact-based uh, uh, issues, uh, well-discussed, controversial issues, fine, but well-discussed and balanced, not sort of one side only with absolutely no sense of what else is out there in terms of contrary opinions or literature. Mm. So, yeah. 
That's, and that's, how much how much of an expert does somebody have to be? Does a doctor have to be in the subject matter that they're writing about? Because obviously it might be quite specific. You mentioned masks, but obviously I'm presuming you're not a respiratory physician. But I, I mean, what, what's the kind of guidance in terms of that whole notion of how much do you stay in your lane? Well, it's a good question. and I don't know the exact answer. I mean, I've got public health background as well as, uh, you know, physician training. So I felt I could talk about masks and the public health data on masks fairly, fairly convincingly. Uh, and in fact, I got someone else to write it with me who was an expert on masks as well. So that actually really helped too for the newspaper. But, but, but I think it is a bit of an issue. I, I think you can... You don't have to stay exactly in your lane to write something, but you need to make sure you've really had a good look at the literature and what's out there, you know, if you're going to write about something outside your area of direct expertise. Because you can expect, we, we peer review, for example, most of our articles in the MJA itself, um, you can expect the peer reviewers will be experts in their field who will look at this if they're going to comment. So that's how we do it, uh, because we're a medical journal. I realise newspapers don't peer review typically, so that's a different issue. Um, but, uh, you know, it's important, I think, that you, uh, for your own credibility, for your own comfort level, at least I think it's important, you try to make sure you've checked the facts and you're not, you know, you're not out there publishing something because if it gets published and it's really wrong it can be awfully embarrassing for an author so don't do that so you you've pitched this idea uh the the editor has said sure and you've you've never written you've not written much before and now you're you know facing that kind of Hemingway-esque sitting down and bleeding in front of your computer how how Penny do you have advice on for somebody who perhaps hasn't written much how to start? Where, how do you structure an article? What are some of the, I guess, tips and tricks about starting to write something when you really haven't written a lot before? Yeah, uh, that's a good one. I mean, I, I can speak for myself as a writer, even though I don't you know, write a whole lot at the moment because I don't have time. But I would, you, if you watched, if you were able to watch over my shoulder and saw my writing process, you'd be horrified. It's not exactly an elegant start to finish process. I'll bundle notes, I'll, rather than have a blank page, write anything. Um, you sort of write down disconnected bits and pieces of ideas that might actually end up being the crucial lines in the piece that actually make it stick in people's heads and fill in the boring bits later. So when you're inspired, write the, write the, the high key points. When you're feeling uninspired, write the more mechanical bits um, but just get something down on the paper don't stare at a blank page that that is not sort of good for anybody um, from an editor's point of view or no, still as a writer just write something and then try it again like play with a sentence try it a different way um, try it six different times and then delete the first five do not say the same thing six times that's not necessary um, but if the more if you're struggling with a sentence just give it a minute, like play with it, and you might find that it will eventually sort itself out in your head. Mm. Uh, go away, go for a walk, come back to it, and things tend to, without you being necessarily conscious of it, might, you know, settle into a more a better form. Mm. Um, from an editor's point of view of, you know, tips that I kind of 
look for um, or that are good to have in an op bed. Um, the opening is very important. You do need to grab and hold the reader's attention because part of your job in this kind of writing is to entertain. You're not necessarily there to inform, although it can be informative. What it definitely has to be is entertaining, and that doesn't necessarily mean funny. Uh, it means something that grips you, your reader in some sort of emotional way. Um, funny is great if you can do it, but, you know, as you said, not, not everyone can. That's a bit of a, a skill in itself. Um, I would say for your introduction, start with a device of some kind. Don't start with a generality about the pandemic has affected us all. It's like, yeah, we know that. Uh, everybody knows that. Start with something else. Start with a particular patient you saw today whose you know, name was Beryl um, or an image or a metaphor or a quote or a saying or something um, that isn't a platitude, that isn't a generality that everybody already knows. And then when you get to the end of your piece, come back to that device and bring it back. And that will be a much more satisfying experience for the reader. They will feel that they have read an entire crafted piece of writing and not something that kind of can trickle off like a, like a new story. Don't overwrite, avoid the temptation to overload your sentences. Keep it snappy, know when to stop. Um, as someone who's been a sub-editor and cut a lot of words in her time, um, I can say that I can often cut half the words out of a sentence and it'll say the same thing only better. You don't need a lot of words to have a, an impact. In fact, it's rather the inverse. The more words you use, the more you the impact will dissipate. So yeah, there are various you know, tricks to writing clearly, but you know, the main one is you know, sort of strip the sentences back, use fewer, shorter words, um, don't use longer words than you're comfortable with, use, you know, it, it's not a problem you lot are gonna have, I don't think it's more of a junior writer type thing where you use words that are long and sound important, but actually make you sound insecure and um, all pompous. So <laughs> don't do that, just use the most ordinary English will, will get your point across usually. Um, unless it's, you know, technical language that you need for a medical purpose or to for a particular effect. If you're struggling, if you're sort of halfway through something and you're wondering and you really can't get past a block, then give me a call. I can, I might be able to help. You know, fresh eyes are good. This is a big one. What are you talking about? If you've got a particular point that you're making or a particular, you know, sort of vision that you're trying to put in people's head, say it. Remember that your reader's weren't around when you pitched this story or they weren't necessarily there through the creative process that led to you writing the piece. So sometimes people can dance around for thousands of words without ever actually making the point. So say what it is you want to say and say it fairly close to the top so people know why they're reading it. it it's sort of interesting. I always find it interesting as a writer realising that every writer has a different approach to writing. I always assumed that there was the technique that one must do and that this is the kind of, you know, that there are all these Bibles on how to write and books on how to write. But really everybody develops their own way of doing things. Um, so Ruby, I mean, you're, you've worked as an editor and, and as a writer, as a journalist. I mean, what's what works for you when you've, got this idea in your head and you have a blank page in front of you. So I'll let you in on one of my favourite little cheat codes for writing a story. If you've got a lot of things bubbling up and you're like, I don't know where to start, do I start here? The thing you need to know is that most human beings, so that's, I'm going to say a lot of people who are in our audience right now, probably know how to, probably know how to talk better than they know how to write. And so one of the things you can do is 
you've got all this, you've done this research, you've done this thinking on it, um, you'll probably know how to talk to someone, like your friend, your partner, you know, a family member or something, um, and you will inherently probably do a storyteller thing subconsciously a lot easier if you're talking to someone. So I would highly recommend um, if you're just totally stuck or you don't know where to start, and I've done this many times, call up someone or grab someone in the room, set your audio recorder or like your phone or something like that to record and then just start talking to them start telling them the really interesting thing and the thing that you're so burning to talk about and I think you'll find afterwards you'll have this beautiful recording that will probably say the most interesting thing that grabs somebody's attention straight away and you'll probably be able to um you'll have in front of you this sort of uh, a piece that kind of describes logically and sets about logically um, the kind of points that you're trying to make. And um, and then you'll also probably have somebody in the room there who can say to you, hold on, I don't understand that. Like, what? how does that follow? Or, or why does that make sense? Or why should I care? And so having that second person to bounce things off can actually be a really great way of just absolute cheat coding uh, the entire process of writing and then you can grab that and take that through you know um, a, a transcription service otter is one that um, I use a lot and uh, that can often break the back of your piece that's fascinating I've actually not heard of that technique before but I love it I'm definitely because I definitely talk I write the way I talk so that's that's a really good one. That's a really good one. So, Nick, what, what I guess, I mean, you, I'm presuming you do more editing uh, perhaps than writing these days, but, I mean, what do you? What advice do you have on that front? Well, I do a lot of writing. Um, um, I write a lot of uh, medical papers, so that's very scientific writing, which is a little bit different. Um, I write uh, material as well, editorials and op-eds. I do a lot of that. Um, and so, um, and I write textbooks, although they're medical textbooks. So I guess I do still a lot of writing as well as editing, and that's what I really enjoy. I think some of the comments already made have been very, very appropriate, very sensible. Um, so I teach my students if I'm if I'm uh, if I'm supervising them. First thing is write something down. <laughs> Get your idea down on a piece of paper, even if it's just a few sentences, and then you start to build the piece. I like the idea of of randomly writing down, in fact, several thoughts if you have them, because putting that, crafting that into a piece that uh, makes sense is so important. You don't want to miss, though, those highlights, those key messages. Um, so always write something down. Keep it brief. I mean, that's one of the really sensible things to do, particularly if you're doing an op-ed or an opinion piece or some kind of... Um, some kind of uh, newspaper type writing or, or whatever. Very different from writing a fiction novel, which I think is a different experience altogether from, from what I'm talking about. But, but, but certainly for short, uh, pithy pieces, critically uh, important. I like the elevator pitch. That's, that's the one to three minute pitch. Uh, I do that. Um, it's a very useful technique. We teach our PhD students to do three minute theses. They spend, they're going to spend three to four years doing scientific research. They have three minutes to explain it to somebody who's not an expert, essentially. Great technique for getting your thoughts down into, for scientific writing, into a very, very clear piece for communicating to the general public as well as other professionals. So that can be very, very useful. And I, look, 
it's very useful if you have anybody around you who's willing to read your work and be critical. You don't want them to read it and say it's fabulous when it's awful. You want them to read it and say, I haven't got the faintest idea what you're talking about. For goodness sake, can you please explain these points? And in fact, this is terrible. Can you rewrite it? <laughs> you really want that because actually then you step back and say, well, are they right? They usually are. And then, well, how do I improve it? So that if you've got time, when I've written op-eds for the Sydney Morning Herald, et cetera, you never have any time. Normally you've got a deadline of about six hours and uh, that's, that's your total timeline. But that's different. That's different. Um, one question uh, Jasmine's asking, which is one that uh, every freelancer is always wondering, if, you hadn't, if you've pitched or submitted an article on spec, how long should you wait before either nagging or pitching it to another publication? Uh, maybe, Ruby, you might have some comments on that. It really depends on the relationship that you have with an editor and whether, um, so is this saying um, whether you've sort of pitched something on spec? Um, well, either, I guess, so whether yeah. you've pitched or submitted. I would say, um, you know, different organisations and different eras of, of journalists and editors have different um, etiquette around this, but if you've had a conversation with someone, they're expecting your pitch and you haven't heard back in a few days even, I would follow up, just send a, you know, polite email, making sure that they've got it. If you're just sending it cold and you haven't spoken to them before, I think similar thing, a couple of days or a week is fine. If you haven't heard back after a week, I think you're entitled to call that person if you have had a communication with them before. And then beyond that, what I would say, rather than just pitching it elsewhere, it's probably good etiquette to just send them another email or give them a call or something. Just let them know, hey, look, you know, this is timely. Um, I wanted to sort of keep moving on getting this published just to let you know I'll be pitching this around elsewhere. What about you, Penny? Do you try and get back within a certain time frame to a pitch? I, I do. Like I try as hard as I can to get back within a really polite amount of time because I know you've got other options for, you know, places to offer your writing. Um, but my inbox is an absolute disaster. And I will give you all my email because I want you to make it an even worse disaster by submitting your ideas and pictures and pieces to me. But um, if I don't see something, it, it can happen, you know, by accident that I just miss something and you are within your rights to hassle me again in a few days. I do try to get back, you know, within, within a day. So if you're getting totally ignored by me, it's quite likely that um, you're a PR person trying to sell me green juice um, as a story or I've simply missed your email, you know, and I'm, I'm not deliberately ignoring you. I'm not going to get to it next week. I just have missed it. Great. Well, uh, that actually brings us, I'm, I'm sorry for the remaining questions that we haven't managed to get to, um, but as all of the people on this uh, session uh, are all contactable um, and are all looking forward to your ideas and pitches that have come out of this. So thank you all very much for attending. Um, and thank you very much to Dr. Justin Coleman, to Penny Durham, Ruby Prosser-Scully and Professor Nick Talley for sharing your wisdom and your experience and your insights. And hopefully it's inspired some of you to put pen to paper or finger to keyboard and uh, generate some fantastic doctor writing over the coming weeks and months. And we look forward to seeing your bylines in print and online. The Tea Room is brought to you by the reporters of the Medical Republic. Catch you next time.